All right, guys, at this point, uh, feel free to take your uh, children back to their designated rooms. We've got three to seven straight back. We've got uh, birth to two in the side room. Um, also, did want to throw out there that um, if you do, if you are keeping your, uh, your little one in service and they're being a little noisy, we do actually have a uh, Bluetooth speaker set up in the side room so you can take them in there and kind of uh, hang out until they're able to come back. Uh, the foyer is, uh, is kind of a big echoey box, so we're kind of asking that you, uh, that you not take your kids there just because it can be really, really loud. Um, all right, let's pray. Uh, dear God, uh, we are thankful to be able to meet again uh, in your presence, in your house. Uh, we are grateful for uh, being able to just focus our minds on you and on the gospel that you've saved us with. Lord, may we uh, just be able to hear. Um, Lord, I ask to hear the word that I'm even bringing to get today, God. Um, I just pray that you would um, just help me to speak, uh, not of my own power, but of yours. I would decrease so that you might increase, just so that you would be glorified, Father. That's the main goal for, uh, for all that we do. So uh, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the passage that we read from today has Jesus sending out 70 people, like a large, pretty substantial crowd of people off to, essentially, they were going to villages that Jesus was going to be um, going to later on to, to minister. And so he was sending them out to perform miracles and to do various things to kind of like prep them for Jesus to, to get there. And it's interesting when we look at this passage, even in the light of all the other passages that we see in Scripture, just this theme of, of being sent, this theme of sending out constantly, and this theme of like this idea that the message that we have is not to be kind of held inwardly, but to be expressed outwardly. That's, that's really, really difficult in this like day and age that we're in, because while religion used to be a very like, you know, obviously very like social uh, thing within our culture that it was just to be discussed. It was commonplace because uh, oftentimes religion was what united people to have the similar culture. But now that we're kind of in the time that we're in, religion has become this thing that you kind of like keep, keep to yourself. You keep it in your house. You keep it with your children and your families. But it, it, it's, that's not something you talk about at work parties. And it's not something you talk about in very specific settings to the point to where it's, it's kind of started to uh, circulate this understanding, even amongst Christians that we have, that maybe our, our faith isn't actually to be, to be shared or to be discussed or e even to be encouraged. It should just kind of be something that I do. It should be something that my Christian friends do. It should, it should be something that we kind of keep to ourselves in this like private circle. And essentially everything I'm going to say for this sermon is to try and counteract that mindset. And it's a mindset that I'm, I myself am honestly very, very familiar with. But I think that it's, it's not what Jesus said. It's not. 
And so I'll be super straightforward. Um, the title of this sermon that I originally wrote down was Jesus Disciples the Disciples, which I actually do not like at all. I don't like that sermon title. I wrote it, so it's my fault, but I don't think it's very good. I'm going to change the title of this sermon right now to You Should Talk to Your Coworkers. That's, that's the title of the sermon. Now, coworkers is an interchangeable term because maybe you don't have coworkers. I mean, well, yeah, either way. Like maybe, maybe instead of coworkers, it's family members. Maybe it's people that you see at the bar or the coffee shop or just people you see in your general circles. But essentially, the, the main point, and I'm going to say this probably at least 15 to 18 times throughout, throughout the next few minutes, is you should talk to your coworkers. And that's, that's the whole point that I'm going to try and make. And so actually, instead of going through the three, uh, or three points about the call that Jesus is giving to all of us as believers, I'm actually going to address them as what the call is not. So I'm going to try and like address some of the concerns, some of, some of the natural like knee-jerk, like negative reactions from this idea and then I'm going to try and build my points around that. So, so bear with me, bear with me. First point is uh, we are not called to be salesmen. We are not called to be salesmen. When I was 18, my first job, I worked for Cutco, which, um, yeah, you know. Uh, so Cutco was a very interesting, uh, uh, you know, experience. Essentially what it is, is uh, they, <laughs> they prey on teenagers and they, it's, it's a knife, it's a knife company. They, they, uh, what they do is they have these little sample bags that have like a sample kit of the type of knife, knifeware that they are selling. And so they tell these uh, teenagers who can't work anywhere else to take these bags of knives and take this little manual and take this script and do demonstrations for your family and then for friends and then for friends of your family. And you get, for every demonstration you do, a cool $16. So when I was 18, it was still $16. But that was, uh, that was enticing for me. And so... I, I dove into this, this, this world of cutlery. It was just such an, such an interesting thing. And honestly, like, I remember, like, just kind of memorizing the script and familiarizing myself with, like, all the talking points. And it was so bad because most of my, my, most of my like, family friends were really only letting me do these demonstrations because... They, they knew that was the only way I could make money. They had no intention of buying my knives, which they probably shouldn't have. Um, but I just remember getting into this mindset of like being a salesman. And I remember one specific time I was at my old martial arts school and I was kind of trying to coax one of the parents there into letting me do a demonstration for him at his house. And he was like, oh no, actually, uh, I just bought this super, super nice, really expensive set of, uh, of Japanese knives. So I really don't feel like it'd be worth my time to have you do the demonstration. And like immediately I'm remembering the script and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it's good that you spent, you know, $1,200 on, uh, you know, Yama Yodo knives. But here's the thing, those knives are going to get dull within a few weeks especially if you use them regularly, and the handles are going to soak in all the toxins, especially if you use them in the dishwasher. And don't even get me started on those cutting boards. Don't even, I can, I can go on for days. And I realized like halfway through as I'm giving this pitch, I don't care about any of this stuff. Like I'm not passionate about cutlery. 
I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have conversations with old, you know, uh, you know, knife smiths about how good the old knife days used to be. I, none of this stuff is interesting to me at all. I was only in it because I, I wanted money. Like, that was why. And I realized, like, I think that one of the reasons we feel super weird sometimes about looking at the gospel as something that we should share and kind of communicate to others is that that's kind of how it feels. It feels like we're just salesmen giving a pitch. We're just reading off of this script that we've memorized and now we're telling to other people. And yeah, that's a very uncomfortable thing. It is. Like that is, that is a very uncomfortable thing. And it's disappointing because I think that outside of the faith, looking in, there are a lot of people who look at Christians just like that. They're, they're, not, they're not trying to, you know, bring God's blessings as far as the curse is found. They're not trying to, you know, redeem uh, and, and bring beauty to the creation from, from the soul and outward. What they see is a bunch of religious, archaic, stone age believing salesmen. And they see that. They see a bunch of like egoistic, like, oh, you just want me to believe this so that you can feel better about believing this, but I'm not interested in that. And that's, that's how we, we can be perceived. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we still preach the gospel, but do it understanding that we, we aren't salesmen? Well, I, I, I guess I would just wonder like, if you look at someone who's, I don't know, let's say they travel out to a really big marathon that's across the country, and they're not a runner. Their whole purpose there is to stand at the 20th mile marker and just hand out waters to people who are running by. Is that guy a salesman? Like, if you, if you look at someone who would go to maybe an impoverished area, maybe a doctor, well, preferably a doctor, someone who goes out to an impoverished area with vaccines, to administer vaccines to those who would, who would otherwise be completely without, like, would that person be a salesman? See, uh, and this, and again, like, I, I probably should have said this earlier. I don't know if there's any salesmen in the crowd, but this is no disrespect to your life and vocation. But I think that there should be a very clear distinction between what we are as Christians sharing a gospel, which we genuinely believe, or at, are at the very least striving to genuinely believe, is the beauty of the God of the universe saving creation. Like, that is not something you need to sell. That is, that is as essential to life. That, that, that literally is life itself. You, would, you wouldn't call the guy giving out water a salesman. You wouldn't call the doctor uh, a salesman. So what we have to recognize is that the, the value of the product, I hate saying product, but the value of the product determines the need for that level of salesmanship. What I mean is, if we see the gospel for as beautiful as it is, if we see it for what it's calling us to and then what it's calling the rest of the world to as well, like what we're, what we're praying that these people are receiving is, is not something that's just gonna put another notch on our belt, another badge on our sashes. This is something that's going to bring them life. It's going to bring the God of the universe pleasure and it's going to be good. 
The gospel is restoring people to the way that life was truly intended to be. As Jesus said, this is true life. It's abundant life. It's life as it was meant to be always. And so we don't have to be salesmen to something like that. And that may mean that for some people who were already sold on the idea of sharing the gospel, maybe you should analyze your tactics. Because if you're coming across like a salesman, maybe you should rethink things. That could be another sermon. Next point, though. Uh, Referring back to the calling, this is Jesus' calling for us. We aren't called because we're qualified, okay? Okay. We aren't called because we're qualified. Now, I, I do feel the need to, to have the you know, mandatory distinction between there, there is the calling that Jesus is giving all of us as believers that all of us should be going forth with the message that we're given, this great commission, the call to the disciples. That's, that's something that I would say is universal. I would say that there are callings that do actually have qualifications, specifically calls to like, you know, pastoral ministry, and you'll see things like that in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, elsewhere. But what I'm speaking about is the call that all of us have to just show, shine, shine the light, you know, Tell, telling others about the, the, the impact that Jesus has had on our life and then, and then sharing that with other people. And the reason I make that distinction is because I, I strongly believe that there are people who look at themselves and they say, oh, here's the thing. I, I really don't have my life like super, super together yet. And I don't know how comfortable I am showing this picture of me to the rest of the world. So I don't really want to advertise. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the face of Christianity for somebody who doesn't know better. Because that, that, could be, that could be a bad thing, you know? Like, I, I'm, still, I'm still working through some things. I've still got a lot going on. I don't, I don't know if, I, if I'm comfortable doing that yet. Here's why I don't think that is actually a good way to look at things. Here's, here's why. Honestly, even in a practical, like, kind of cultural sense, I think the world around us tends to already believe that the only people who are Christians are the morally upright, you know, righteous, like, responsible people. So when we recognize that our weaknesses are visible and we say that as a result of this, I can't actually share Jesus because I'm too, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm too angry all the time. I'm too lazy at work. I'm too, I'm too this, I'm too that. What we're actually doing is reinforcing for the rest of the world that God doesn't actually want people. He wants our exceptional. He wants the morally upright. He wants the super good, the super solid, the super got everything together. And we need to know, we need to know that that is not how God is viewing us. That is not how God is viewing the world around us. God is not like, all right, well, I just really want the best. I want grade A, prime cut humanity. I want the best of the best. That's not true. That's never been true. Again, back to a a statement from Jesus that I'm sure all of us know is that a, a hospital doesn't need healthy people. Someone who, a doctor comes to administer to the sick. 
And so if we're recognizing that like, ah, I just, I, I'm, not, I'm not really in that place where I, I feel comfortable with that. Like, I understand why we have that perspective, but we need to be able to wear our weaknesses. Not as a, as a flag that we're proud of, like, yeah, I'm sometimes aggressive and I yell at my spouse sometimes. No, like we're not proud of this, but we're wearing it honestly enough and we're wearing it with enough humility that shows the people around us that, no, I need Jesus every single day because I'm not great, because I'm not there yet. And please don't let that be a crutch. I mean, I, I feel like I shouldn't need to say this, but just, I just want to make sure I'm throwing it out there that if, if you're struggling with sin and you're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, obviously you should be trying not to do those things. You should be repenting of sins. That's, you know, pretty fundamental to what we're doing. Now, that's not my way of guilting those who are struggling and those who are working through things. That's one thing. But I think I made that, so that, that part clear. I apologize. So... You know, we can look at the Bible, dude. Like, we have uh, Matthew, who was a tax collector, which basically meant he was, like, national traitor to the Jews, and he was one of the apostles, and Jesus chose him because, turns out, Jesus really didn't care if his reputation was bad because he was going to use him anyways. Simon the Zealot was, like, the opposite side of the spectrum from Matthew. He was low-key kind of a terrorist. Like, he was all about the downfall of Rome. He was a strong Jewish nationalist. He was also called by Jesus in spite of his bad reputation. Paul, the former imprisoner and possible murderer of all Christians— then ended up writing like half the New Testament because God doesn't tell people not to follow their calling just because they are people. Because people struggle and people are going to deal with their weaknesses and their shortcomings and their deficiencies constantly. But we show that in a way that's vulnerable enough and that's honest enough. So rather than reflecting our negatives, Instead, it enhances the love and the mercy of God. The last point, I don't know if I can call it the last point, but it is it's the last point on my notes. The last point I have is that we aren't called to go alone. We aren't called to go alone. So again, to, to reiterate the title of the sermon, uh, you should talk to your coworkers. You should talk to your family. You should talk to your friends. You should talk to people that you're around. And what if you're like, John, I don't want to do that. <laughs> John, that's super uncomfortable for me. It, I, I get anxious. I get stressed out. I get nervous. Or maybe it's deeper than that, right? Maybe it's like, maybe you've actually been super good about most of the coworkers and families, but there's like some select few that maybe that relationship is just really, really damaged or really, really draining and negative, and you just don't know what to do with that because it's, it's, it's kind of scary. It's kind of intimidating. But we have to remember that we're not called to go, to go alone. It's so, it's so interesting. I think it's so cool that Jesus is sending out the, the 70 disciples. And there's another passage in, in, uh, in Luke where he's sending out the 12 disciples and they're all doing various things and he's sending them out to go alone. 
but he's going to follow after them soon. And he, he sends them out with warnings, warnings that some of us may have actually experienced the repercussions of, because he's sent them out saying, it might actually be terrible. This might be really, really difficult for you. People have to understand that the, like this is what Jesus is saying, is that the gospel, the, the, the weights, but also the division of the gospel may bring siblings against each other. It may make a father hate his son and a, and a daughter hate her mother. It may cause conflict. It may be difficult. But in the same way, he also says to these same people that he's sending out, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave you guys. I'm not gonna leave you alone. I, I feel like I mention this every sermon. There's no way of checking if I do, but I just love when Jesus is, is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit as he's speaking about how he's about to leave. Because he's like, the Father's gonna send somebody for you guys. Don't worry, because I'm not gonna be here forever. And we know this is true. He dies, he comes back, and then shoots off, and we don't see him again. But he says, I, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I just love, I love like the power of a statement like that. Like he's already recognizing that in the relationship that Jesus had with his disciples, it was so close that if he was to leave them behind, it would be equivalent to a father abandoning his family. And he's like, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And that's such a wonderful thing to remember and to hold on to. And it's weird still, because now we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can be a very confusing thing to maneuver, even in the relationship that we have with him to, to, to this day, right? A lot of different interpretations on what that looks like, but, but we agree that he is meant to be a comforter. And we can believe that. And like, I wanted to, to try to share a little bit of my, my experience with this. So I... Uh, I, I'm going to tie this in less, less to like my general call to, to talking to people about Jesus, but more like my bigger call, which was like to ministry, which has been the last couple of years. So there's, there's something about when, geez Louise, there's something about when you are responding to the gospel and you're responding to God in a, in a way of obedience that just really magnifies every single thing that is wrong with you, right? That was, that was my experience, like, overwhelmingly. Like, I, I had such pie-in-the-sky uh, dreams and ambitions about what ministry was going to look like, and I was just, it's just going to be preaching, and I love preaching. It's just going to be talking about Jesus. It's never going to be hard. It's going to be so great. And, like, none, none of those things are wrong. None of those things that I just said are not true. But there's such, at least this was my own experience, there, there were so many occasions um, where I felt myself feeling so critical. And it was like, it was like if, if, if all of my being was 100 and 
one was my, my faults and my mistakes and my issues. Like if it was one and then 100 was the rest of it. I, I couldn't see that. I saw 99 of those tiny circles that reminded me of, of everything I was doing wrong. And then that one was, I don't know, it was gray, unlabeled. It wasn't, was not present on this graph. And so I remember... Um, <laughs> I want to talk about it. I remember uh, Andy and I were chatting after a, uh, after a couple sermons that I had done. Uh, the Hansons had recommended a place on the south side called Taco Fish, where they sell um, $1 fish tacos every Tuesday. Make a note. And I went there on my way back from Phoenix, and I grabbed a bunch of tacos, and I called Andy, and I said, hey, dude, let's have some tacos before the meeting. Um, as soon as we sat down, he was like, hey, so I really want to go over a couple notes I had for the last couple sermons that you did. And I said, I'd actually really prefer if we not do that, please. And, and of course, you know, uh, we, we did. And, <laughs> and it was like, absolutely crushing. And this is not because Andy is a brutish, like just iron fist. I mean, if you know him, you might think that, but let me tell you, personal experience. Andy has been such a wonderful, loving, like encouraging support for me. And like, he was trying his darndest, dude, to like not just smash me with a hammer because he knows exactly how badly I take this kind of criticism. But it was to no avail. And I had to sit through like three hours of meetings right after that, which was the last place that I wanted to be. And I had a whole bunch of things on my, on my stupid agenda for the rest of the day. And I remember driving home to the east side from somewhere. It was like a 20-minute drive. And just the whole time, like, I'm like speaking out loud and I'm just thinking about everything that I did wrong and everything that I just continue to do wrong. And it's like starting to change from just actions that I've done to like, no, this is actually my character. This is what I'm fully capable of. This is everything. This is all that I am. It's just, it's just wrong. It's just failure. It's just this narrative in my head. And I'm driving home and I'm talking out loud. And then pretty soon I'm just yelling at my steering wheel as I'm driving and I'm like getting emotional. I'm like, I need to leave mission. Like, I can't stay here like this. I'm just, I'm, I can't do anything for these people. This is, I just felt like totally broken. And I got home and my dad was asleep and I had no one to talk to. And I didn't want to call anyone. I'm sorry. I should have called someone I know, but I sat on my bed and I prayed and I was like, Jesus, just, just help me, please. Like, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if you're going to just cheer me up or if you're just going to make me fall asleep. But Jesus, please, just help me. And he did. He did. It wasn't like a, a, a magic wand. But I fell asleep. <laughs> and, uh, and I woke up. And I didn't leave mission. And uh, I'm still here. And I'm super happy that I'm still here. None of this is on my notes, by the way. Um, I'm just having a moment. So <laughs> all that to say, I, I remember hearing probably for years and years about this idea of uh, uh, God does not uh, call the equipped, but he equips the called. 
And that is such a thing that I've been able to experience and just seeing that Jesus is actually meeting us where we are as we try to respond in faithfulness to him. So your calling might be totally different from mine. In fact, I would, I would wager that many of yours will probably be very, very different from mine. But I can say at least from one really, really specific night that you can test the faithfulness of God. If Jesus says, I've got a comforter coming and he will comfort you because I'm not gonna leave you behind, then you find yourself in these trenches of difficulty and self-deprecation and everything difficult that you may struggle with and you test him. You say, Jesus, I, you said that comforting thing. I'm gonna need you to come through for me, please. Like, test him. Because I was able to experience that. And yes, this is completely anecdotal. This is my word against maybe a billion other experiences. But I can say that I've actually experienced this comfort. And it was not in the place of peace and ease. It came in the pit of despair and, and one of the lowest places I've been. And as we try to respond to God in obedience, and as we venture into the murky depths that we've been avoiding, especially for mission, especially for the gospel, which is the reason we are still on earth, God will meet us faithfully. He will. Yeah. So, conclusion. Let's, I hope that we all talk to our coworkers. <laughs> I hope that we talk to our family. I hope that we um, take this being sentness very seriously. Um, because it's why we're here. It's why we're still here. It's why God didn't save us and then yank us up into heaven. It's why we're here. It's for the people around us, for the people who, just like who we were before, they don't know yet, but they, but they still can. You know, they still can. And so as we... Think about this as we pray for the future, as we pray for the people around us. Let's, let's remember, let's remember, because it can be hard. Because sometimes people that we really, really love just, just aren't, aren't getting it, and that's difficult. Let's remember, though, that as we're praying for a future where the people around us are, are, are loving Jesus and are, are, are bringing themselves <clears throat> before him, let's remember that what we have today is still such a tremendous blessing, you guys. It's still such a wonderful thing that the Father is loving us, that the Son has died for us, that the Spirit is living within us. Those are all wonderful things. So don't let your hearts be discouraged and torn down by the, the mission that we haven't successfully accomplished because it's still, it's still going, you know? The kingdom has been coming for a couple thousand years now. A lot of people have been getting saved, you know. It's just still a lot of things happening. So let's close all that out. So far from my notes, I can't even, can't even look at them. But let's close all that out. Remembering, remembering Jesus. Remembering Jesus for literally everything that he did was what we're sharing. That's what's so phenomenal about it is that the act, the action, everything big that's already happened, it, it's done. All we're doing is telling the story. 
We don't have to break our backs on a cross because all that's already been done. And so let's remember the heart of the gospel, just the gospel itself, that Jesus, the Son of God, came down for a bunch of punk people who did not deserve it, dealt with people who did not believe in him, talked to people who were probably very, very not friendly, got arrested, got beaten mercilessly, got nailed up on a cross while all of his friends left, cried out to God. But as he was dying, he was doing each and every moment of that out of love for us. We should remember, and we will. Let's remember through communion. Let's remember as we break bread, as he was broken, as we drink wine that was poured out, as his blood was poured out. Let's remember that.